You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. Rewilding Earth podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia, Catula, and Biohabitats, as well as the Whedon Foundation and listeners like you. If you love the work that the Rewilding Institute is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter while you're there. America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would protect iconic western landscapes with evocative names like Cedar Mesa, the Escalante Canyons, and the Kaparowitz Plateau. This visionary legislation has been introduced in the House of Representatives since 1989. And in 1997, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois agreed to introduce a Senate version of the bill and has done so every Congress since. The wild and expansive landscape proposed for protection under America's Red Rock Wilderness Act comprises a prime piece of what scientists say is needed today, protecting 30% of America's lands and waters by the year 2030 in order to prevent catastrophic collapse of our natural systems. Today I speak with Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance's Terry Martin and Clayton Doffenbaugh and Rewilding's Wildlands Coordinator Kim Crumbo about what it's going to take to finally get this act passed. First, Clayton gives a bit of background on the iconic wilderness advocacy organization, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, uh, known as SUA for short, uh, is a grassroots uh, membership-based organization um, in Utah. It's got about 15,000 members, about half in Utah, the others scattered around the other 49 states of the country. And our sole mission is to get the permanent protections for the wilderness quality lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management in the state of Utah. We work in coalition with uh, with uh, with others in the Utah Wilderness Coalition. There's a steering committee of this coalition that's composed of SUA, the Sierra Club, and the Natural Resources Defense Council. Uh, we've been working on this project for over 30 years. Uh, we have a wilderness proposal that in its largest form uh, had roughly 10 million acres to get protected and we have over the years been piecing together protections uh, that uh, that are moving us forward over a million acres of wilderness, uh, two national monuments, three million acres of wilderness study areas. And so we're making steady progress and America's Red Rock Wilderness Act that we'll be talking about here today uh, is the thing that defines the turf of this uh, whole conversation in Utah, which, uh, which Terry is going to enlighten us on. So as Clayton said, uh, the, the key vehicle uh, that we focus on to try and bring protection to these lands is called America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. And uh, that act would protect about 9 million acres of public land that is administered, administered by the Bureau of Land Management um, in Utah. These are lands that lie on the Colorado Plateau portion of Utah known usually by to most people as the Red Rock Country, and also lie in what we call Utah's West Desert, which is basin and range country. And there are many, many reasons to protect this landscape. Uh, if any of you know it, you know that it uh, is a place of stunning beauty and spectacular geology, 
um, it's a place of an extraordinary abundance of archaeology and sites that are sacred to Native Americans. Um, it has world-class recreational opportunities, hiking, climbing, rafting, biking, camping. And uh, what we're excited about and want to talk about today is that we have some new research that shows that protecting lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would also make a significant contribution to the climate and the extinction crises, as well as moving us closer to the goal of protecting 30% of our country's lands by the year 2030. Kim, I remember you saying something about how this would make a contribution in terms of a percentage of that 30 by 30. I mean, this is very, very significant, isn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, when you take a look at, you know, on a state-by-state -state basis, the amount of protected areas uh, in existence already contribute to that 30% protected. But when you look at the potential wilderness designations for, uh, for Utah, and especially the 9 million acres of the American Red Rocks Wilderness Act, brings that total of protected lands within Utah pretty close to... Uh, about 20% of the state protected. And when you put in some of the other places like the national parks that uh, some of them have uh, wilderness designation like Zion and Canyonlands and portions of Dinosaur National Monument and uh, Capitol Reef, you're about at the 30% uh, number. So uh, this uh, American Red Rocks Wilderness Act is, provides the potential if passed, to really substantially increase the amount of rigorously protected lands uh, that contribute to Utah's contribution to the 30 by 30 effort. And that's a really important point, right? Rigorously protected, meaning we need to, and you've maintained that we need to have at least 10% in rigorously protected status of that 30% to make the 30 by 30 meaningful. Can you explain that a little bit more? Well, yeah, the, uh, right now the, uh, conservationists and the, uh, you know, Biden administration are grappling with the term, what constitutes protected areas? Uh, the international union of conservation of nature, IUCN has strongly recommended that at least 10% of that protected land, 10% is rigorously or strictly protected. Uh, in the United States, wilderness really is the only designation that, you know, that achieves that, that, that level of protection. So yeah, it is significant. Uh, the fact that Utah has more than 10% protected under the, those provisions is just a benefit uh, in addition to the other other protected areas, so it's it's significant, and it's uh, something that uh, certainly is should be a high priority in terms of the Biden administration pushing to get it passed, as well as the uh, the, the remainder of Congress that's uh, on board with the whole idea of saving the planet. Significant at a national level, as well, because uh, those protected lands in Utah gain us about one and a half percent of the total that's necessary 
to achieve the 30 by 30 goals, which from one single proposal, that's uh, that's pretty good. How big is this in, in terms of other proposals that are out there, other wilderness proposals that are um, as in the same ballpark as serious and close to um, being decided upon? The only other thing that is larger than America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would be the Northern Rockies Ecosystem Protection Act. Um, and the Red Rocks bill constitutes uh, the, the largest, or maybe second largest compared to NREPA, um, network of undesignated wilderness quality lands remaining in the lower 48 states, certainly the largest one inside one state. The size of America's Red Rock Wilderness Act is one of is a significant reason why it would make a major contribution to moving us toward the goal of protecting 30% of our lands. But there's a second reason that I think is um, as important, and and uh, I think your listeners will uh, totally be able to relate to this. Um, and that is because the passage of America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would increase landscape connectivity or wildlife connectivity in the region. And such connectivity is critical to mitigating the extinction and the climate crises, especially in the face of climate change. And the way I think, since we're, we're talking just audibly and don't have maps, the way I encourage people to think about this is to imagine a map of the Intermountain West. And you'll see that our existing network of protected lands, our national parks, our wilderness areas, our wildlife refuges, they appear on that map as fragments of land that are largely isolated from each other. And the sad reality is that these isolated fragments are simply not large enough to sustain a healthy diversity of species and of habitats. And as a result, we are seeing the the, uh, decline in distribution in numbers of many wildlife and plant populations. And that results in a loss of biodiversity and increased risk of extinction. Um, And as everyone knows, climate change is just making this worse. So what the 30 by 30 campaign recognizes is that yes, we need to protect more land, but as important, we need to protect large landscapes that connect ecosystems and wildlife habitat. And that's what America's Red Rock Wilderness Act does. If you go back to that map in your mind's eye, you'll see that America's Red Rock Wilderness Act lies about midway along a chain of largely natural landscapes that stretch from Mexico up to the Canadian and Alaskan Arctic. And that chain is sometimes called the spine of the continent. And it includes places like Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, Grand Teton, Rocky Mountain National Parks. And what our research showed is that, and the work that Kim Crumbo did, is that passing the Red Rocks Act would increase connectivity between these landscapes. And more specifically, it would conserve parts of five key wildlife corridors that facilitate wildlife movement between these areas. And and these corridors serve, um, they're, they're critical lifelines for wildlife such as deer, elk, pronghorn antelope, bighorn sheep, black bear, mountain lion, and even wolves. So the point is that protecting lands in the Red Rocks Act would not only uh, help protect a big chunk of deserving country, 
but it would enhance ecosystem and wildlife health in this entire region because it increases landscape connectivity and protects these key wildlife corridors. And I find that really exciting. And I'm hoping that uh, attention is given um, to that argument in the 30 by 30 initiative. Does it freak you out that we're talking about this outside of our circle, that there's a 30 by 30 discussion going on from our administration down for the first time ever in the history of this country. We're not only talking about just saving a bunch of land, which has been the traditional thing. This is a big chunk of wilderness. We should save it. But we're talking about the connectivity issues around that and the more of the conservation biology related to what we're trying to save. And that we're also having a national discussion. I mean, this is more of a national discussion than we've ever had the luxury of having. Does it freak me out? No, it completely excites me. I mean, I think that is the really one of the amazing things about the 30 by 30 initiative. I mean, it's going to be messy. People are going to come at it from a lot of different ways. Uh, We all recognize that getting to 30 by 30 is like putting together a puzzle. It requires many different pieces. And from designating more wilderness to creating more national parks to establishing more open space, but all those pieces are important. And it really has generated and is generating this, what you said, national conversation about how important land is to our future, to addressing, I love this, we're finally making the connection between protecting landscapes and addressing the climate crises, as well as the extinction crises, as well as just our overall health and well-being. And uh, seeing that we do need to protect big chunks of country, like the Red Rocks Act, and we also need to put together a lot of these smaller pieces as well. So I think it's a it's a fantastic conversation, and uh, you know we're all hopeful that it's going to lead to some real action. Well, I share the excitement. Uh, just being able to talk about this at a national level is uh, is an opportunity we haven't had in a long time. And it also uh, injects the conversation of wilderness into conversation about climate change because uh, we can we can do things by protecting wilderness, like uh, address 5.7% of the Paris Agreement carbon budget. Uh, we can sequester land. We have, in addition to needing to have clean energy uh, to prevent greenhouse gases from going in the atmosphere, we need to preserve the Earth's capacity to draw down these greenhouse gases and sequester them. And the research that uh, that we've been doing on America's Red Rock Wilderness Act demonstrates the great potential for doing that. The fact that the uh, President of the United States considers climate uh, chaos as an existential threat to not only the planet's diversity of life, but also the you know, humanity, I think, elevates this issue, you know, so that people begin to understand that protecting landscapes significantly contributes to that, that, uh, that effort. So I'm glad it's on a national and actually it's on an international scale. So it's uh, high time. Well, I don't suppose that everybody in the world is just totally thrilled about this. It's going to pass with flying colors that there's no opposition to it. Can we talk a little bit about I know a lot of people that listen to rewilding know what the typical arguments always are against anything like this, but this isn't exactly like what we've had before. We're also not in the political 
we're not in the realm that we were before. A lot of the old arguments continue to apply. They still try. Um, but do you guys sense any difference out there now? I mean, of course, we've got the momentum of the uh, an amenable or uh, administration and 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 people are coming around nationally. Polls are indicating non-stakeholders, non-grazers, non-gas and oil and people like that more and more and more support things like this. And if it was up to them, we'd already have this passed. Um, but what's going on with the opposition and what do we need to be aware of? Well, the biggest part of the opposition continues to be from the uh, Utah congressional delegation. Um, so we just really need to be aware that, uh, that they historically have only come to the table when, uh, when, we, when they felt that they had to. And so continuing to drive and continuing to push uh, to get these lands protected, either in sizable pieces or all at once, uh, is the thing that's going to get us to eventual resolution of this cause. You're listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Did you know we also publish insightful and inspirational content from leading rewilding scholars, poets, artists, and organizers from around the world? You can visit rewilding.org and sign up for our weekly digest to receive brilliant, fresh insights on everything rewilding. You'll find over a decade of articles and news from the front lines of wildlands protection and all kinds of restoration efforts. Check us out at rewilding.org and don't forget to share it with friends. The only reason the Utah delegation has cooperated on wilderness spills is when they felt the pressure to do so. And that pressure comes substantially from uh members of Congress from all across the country uh, signing on and becoming co-sponsors of America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. And that has given our our champions in the Senate and the House the clout to move uh, bills that protect part of this area. The way you can help if you want to help is is to go to SUA's website, SUA.org, and uh, click on the link uh, to ask your member of Congress to co-sponsor America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. And right now we're in a co-sponsorship drive, so it's good timing. And um, we'd love for you to help out in that way. So let's talk a little bit more about um, that research you talked about Kim doing. What what was the deal with that, Terry? Um, yeah, Kim Crumbo provided a, a great service by taking a look at how America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would increase landscape connectivity in the area and serve wildlife and ecosystem health. And what he did was to take a look at, to identify, and then we mapped out these five key wildlife corridors that connect these larger ecosystems. They run from Grand Canyon up to the Bitterroots, from Grand Canyon up to Yellowstone, from uh, the Grand Staircase and Bears Ears area over to the Southern Rocky Mountains uh, and from the greater Canyonlands area up to Rocky Mountain National Park and up to Grand Teton National Park. And the Red Rocks Act protects key parts of these of these wildlife corridors. Um, and uh, that's a really that was a really exciting piece of um, research. And it's it's uh, published in a in a paper uh, authored by Kim on our website. We also contracted with um, uh, a nonprofit organization called EcoAdapt to produce a peer-reviewed scientific study that looks at how protecting lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would mitigate uh, the climate crises. And um, this report produced some of the 
results that Clayton was talking about. Um, and what's really exciting about it is that, uh, as he said, there's kind of a disconnect often between the idea of protecting wilderness and addressing climate. And what this report showed is that uh, there's a substantial connection that protecting wild lands can make a significant contribution to addressing the climate crises. One way it does that is uh, to both reduce future carbon emissions and also to allow uh, plants and soils to continue to pull carbon out of the air. Um, you know, in terms of reducing carbon emissions, we're talking about the Red Rocks Act, keeping fossil fuels, coal, oil, gas, tar sands, um, oil shale in the ground. And if you keep them in the ground, then you keep their emissions in the ground. And and it's substantial. Um, the EcoDAPS research uh, showed that uh, if we passed America's Red Rock Wilderness Act and kept those fossil fuels in the ground, that we would achieve almost 6% of the carbon mitigation needed to stay within no greater than 1.5 degrees uh, Celsius of warming. And that's the goal set by the Paris Accord. But at the same time, protecting those lands would ensure that the plants and soils are not disturbed. And that means that not only would they continue to, they would keep the carbon there, they now contain intact, but the amount of carbon that they take out of the atmosphere and store would actually increase 10% by the end of the century. And that was a, this was a really interesting finding for us because people tend to focus on uh, tropical rainforest's contribution towards um, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere, a process called sequestration storage. But what the EcoDAP research shows is that dry land ecosystems like the lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act play a significant role also. Protecting lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act would help protect substantial areas of what are known as climate change refugia. These are, are areas that are buffered from climate extremes and they provide um, a safe haven for animals and plants to possibly just uh, endure climate change or to adapt, particularly adapt over time by changing their range or by making genetic adaptations. Um, and there's not a lot of climate change refugia protected in the Colorado Plateau region. Kim, you've been around um, a little bit and you've watched as we've discussed and fought for and won and lost uh, all kinds of wilderness battles, all kinds of public lands battles. Does it feel different now? As you hear Terry talking so much about uh, things we don't typically in, in the past hear conservationists talk so much about, about ecosystem integrity and um, refugia and climate and sequestration, carbon sequestration and things like that, that go, they don't historically go along with all of the arguments for wilderness and arguments for protection that we, you know, traditionally had. What, how does that feel to you now in terms of what we're trying to accomplish now? Is that helping a lot or? Well, yeah, it, put it, it puts it in a context that it's, 
actually easier to sell protected landscapes in, in that it puts it in a larger, gives you a larger perspective as to the importance, the significance, you know, of protected lands. And uh, it just makes the, uh, the fact that we've got a much larger audience paying attention to all the implications of what's going on with the, uh, you know, changes in climate and uh, the, ex this, the extinction, extinction rate for native biodiversity. So it makes it, much more, and I hesitate to use the word, but hopeful that we're going to be able to prevail in this task of uh, preserving the diversity of life on this planet. And, uh, well, one of the things that I think is really neat is that we knew all along for all of these years, we if we ever got anyone's attention, we only had it for just a very, very short period of time. So you better plunk a panda bear or a mountain lion or some other charismatic megafauna up on the screen. Uh, talk about that very quickly, get people's attention because they're going to be off to other news really quickly. Now that we have a lot, it feels like we have a lot more time, not a lot, not as much as we'd want. Um, people are more interested in this stuff that we are able to go deeper and really show why the arguments we've had in the past for wilderness, for protection, for half earth, ecologically makes sense. Like, doesn't it feel to you guys, Clayton, that people are leaning in a little bit more and that we have the opportunity now to have that conversation so that organization leaders that are listening to this right now can be mindful of that and, and, and enjoy and maybe think of different ways of taking that extra time that people are taking to lean in and listen to a deeper discussion about these things. Do you feel like that or am I being too hopeful? Uh, well, we certainly need to go deeper and we need to go bigger if we're going to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. I think what we're seeing today is that finally the recognition of the significance of climate change and the harm that it can do and the scale of the effort that it's going to take to address it is beginning to sink in. And so people are starting to talk about things um, that they haven't talked about before and talk about it in ways that they haven't talked about it before. And I think people are beginning to realize, as we were saying earlier, that it's not just clean energy that needs to address climate change. That's absolutely essential, but it doesn't get us to where we need to go if we're also not protecting the natural world and the habitat and the biodiversity uh, that is around us. And the recognition that both of these things are important and crucial to the future of humanity on the planet is the thing that I think is raising the level of this conversation uh, to the point where it looks like we may be on the verge of seeing some significant action. Okay, Sua gets this. We get the act passed. What, what in that particular instance, do, where do we go from there, knowing that the goal biologically, E.O. Wilson, Reed Noss, everybody that's all talked about what is really ultimately required here um, as a minimum is 50%, where do we go from here? I mean, where do we go after the SUA's and REPA is passed? Those things are done. We still have work to do, right? Well, certainly there are mechanisms that are larger than these two pieces of legislation that are important, too. Uh, with Bureau of Land Management lands, uh, there is the opportunity 
to reinstate the process of establishing wilderness study areas uh, that would uh, be pertinent to millions and millions of acres um, across the lower 48 states um, beyond anything that these two pieces of legislation um, would protect. Uh, and then a, another piece of legislation is uh, introduced by Senator Cantwell and Representative Colega that would protect roadless areas and national forests uh, that have administrative protections uh, somewhat under threat uh, at this point. Um, so uh, certainly America's Red Rock Wilderness Act is essential, but these other pieces that draw from this effort to protect these lands in Utah, particularly when you're talking about BLM wilderness study areas, um, are things that, uh, that can move, or move us into uh, to a much bigger scale that we need to get to to move towards uh, 50 by 50. So I also want to offer that here in Utah, the history has been that every time uh, there's been a new national park or national monument established, there's huge controversy. And then within a decade or maybe a bit longer, sometimes a bit shorter, there is enormous public support for that protected area. One reason to be hopeful is 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 be, is to observe that history. Protected lands um, become embraced and used and appreciated and cherished by people, you know, very quickly, and they become places that people can't imagine living without. Uh, so, in some ways, our protection efforts just build on themselves. So. I think that in the question in terms of how do you move from 30% to 50%, some ways I think people will experience the results of more open space um, nearby uh, in their local community, um, more wild places, uh, maybe nearby, maybe at a little greater distance where um, they can go immerse themselves in the natural world. Um, and you know the results: cleaner air, cleaner water, some of the climate impacts mitigated. These are favorable things, and um, uh, protected lands sell themselves when people have a chance to experience them. You know, and one more piece is in in your name, the Rewilding Institute, um, the restoration uh, of places that still have some natural qualities but have been compromised in some way, and um, can be brought back to a healthy natural state. That's part of the 30 by 30 vision. Yeah, and one other thing too, we were talking about wildlife corridors. They're, they have to be defined. They have to be, there has to be some kind of prescriptive management that protects the connectivity value of those areas too. So that leaves us a lot of latitude in terms of how to do that. Uh, and that can contribute significantly to the uh, the, the overall effort toward 50 by 50 particularly, but it also links the, uh, in, a, in a real way, the areas that we're working on with areas throughout the region and throughout the, the continent, really. So, Well, first things first, everybody needs to go to SUA, S-U-W-A dot org. And Terry, click on what? Banners fly across the page, and uh, there's one that says uh, co-sponsor ask your member of Congress to co-sponsor America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. Um, 
And if you don't see it in a banner, you'll find it easily on our website. It takes you uh, to a place where you can uh, simply send a prepackaged message or enhance it with your own personal comment, which is always a good idea. And it brings up your members of Congress and um, allows you to send it to them. So it, we've been on some really hopeful ground here, and I'd love to hear that. Uh, and the reality is that to, to move the effort to protect lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act forward, we definitely need support from members of Congress around the country. And the way that we get that is by constituents raising this issue with them and asking them to act. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you want to cheat and just go straight, I'll give you a cheat link that'll take you directly to the page that Terry is talking about. If you go to rewilding.org slash POD, and you will see this episode and uh, I'll have a link in, the, in what's called extra credit directly to where you can take action that Terry's talking about. So we've learned five key things from the two pieces of research that we've been talking about here today that are really crucial to driving home the point about how important these red rock lands are in the bigger planetary picture. Um, we've learned that by protecting all the lands in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act, we can do one and a half percent of the total of the 30 by 30, which is really significant uh, for a single piece of uh, a single protection effort. We've learned that we can um, have nearly 6% of the carbon budget that we can positively impact, the carbon budget that was established by the, Parin, uh, the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, we've learned that we can maintain and increase uh, sequestration capacity to draw down carbon from the atmosphere, increase it by as much as 10% by the end of the century by protecting these areas. We can connect five wildlife corridors uh, to other places in the Intermountain West so that we get double the benefit, uh, quintuple the benefit of protecting these lands because of how it enhances the health of other places within the region. And we've learned that we can save uh, climate change refugia for species out the wazoo due to the uh, extreme uh, topographical variation that's found within the lands of America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. So we can gain all of those things if people will go to SUA's website and uh, click and send the message to their members of Congress asking them to co-sponsor America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. Just one other thing too, that we mentioned that this effort in Utah can serve as a template for other areas. Uh, when your listeners go to their congressman and ask to uh, support the American Red Rock Wilderness Act, they might also interject what uh, what's necessary in their in their state in their district too so that might provide a uh, opportunity to start uh, expanding that discussion thanks for listening to the rewilding earth podcast we do what we do because of you this podcast is supported by listeners like you who long to live in a wilder world please consider donating at rewilding.org and subscribe to our weekly news and article digest while you're there to go the extra mile, you can follow and share Rewilding Earth on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Bonus points for sharing this podcast with your friends. 
To listen to past episodes, go to rewilding.org slash pod. That's rewilding.org slash P-O-D. Thank you.